Tragically, 50,000 women and girls are trafficked in the U.S. each year. That was to be the fate of our guest today. Hear from this brave young lady and the marshals who rescued her. Welcome, everyone, to Chasing Evil. I'm your host, Chris Gontzik, and the story we're going to talk about today has been covered in the media. In fact, you might have read about it. It will certainly sound familiar. A 16-year-old girl runs away with a guy she met on the internet. Her dad alerts law enforcement, and they find the girl eventually at the guy's house, and he was just giving her a place to stay. And those are the facts according to several newspapers. But it's not the real story. The real story involves grooming a minor, rape, kidnapping, and a desperate young girl's drive to just survive. And the real story has never been told. Not to the media, not to law enforcement, and not to the prosecutors, but we'll get to that later. Today, we're going to go into the weeds on this one. I want to start by welcoming our two deputy U.S. Marshals who rescued the young lady who is the center of our story today. Hello? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Look, you talk on a, a police radio like throughout your entire career. This shouldn't be that different for you. It's very scary. <laughs> I can't hear my own voice coming back through the radio. So. <laughs> and what's really special about our episode today is that we actually have the victim who, for the first time, this very brave young lady will share her story with us. There'll be no real names used today. And I want to welcome Sue to the podcast. Hi. Thank you again very much for telling your story. So before we get into how you were groomed on the internet, I think we should talk a little bit about the background that kind of got you to the point where you were open to seeking companionship online. Yeah, so really it was my whole life I was isolated from the world. Um, I had both my parents were very abusive in totally different ways. Uh, my mom was mentally ill at the time. She would go into rages. My dad started getting violent when I was around five. He started using steroids very heavily. Um, I've seen him break walls. My mom was abused by him um, severely. She had a broken collarbone. Uh, that was my first childhood memory from, I think I was four. Um, they got divorced when I was five and I went to live with my mom and I would see my dad occasionally, um, mm -hmm. usually on the weekends pretty normal situation um, but I always refused to go it would be um, I would throw fits every weekend I never wanted to see him he mm -hmm. was always violent it was always just a vibe that you would get from him he was angry he was constantly threatening everyone everyone that came in his path did you feel loving protected by him at all no I think sometimes he did play the uh, tough, strong dad role, but to me, it was never a safe space. To me, it was just a violent guy that I had to see um, terrorize people my whole life. Um, so around 12 years old, I stopped going with him. I just wouldn't go. Um, so there was a few years where I would really rarely see him, but my mom's house was increasingly getting worse. Uh, she, she would be totally normal um, to the outside world. And then she would snap. She did not want a daughter. She... Sorry. Um, she... It would be mostly in the morning. It was, she had like a very um, scheduled mental illness, I guess. Every morning she would rage for one hour a day. She would get very violent. I've had chairs thrown at my head. I have a hole in the back of my throat where she stabbed me with a pencil. It's still there. Um, I had to lie to my teachers about where I was getting these injuries. I would have to say I fell down the stairs and people would make fun of me, like, oh, how'd you fall down the stairs? And it was, it was very, 
sad because I knew what really happened. Um, I wasn't telling anybody. She would beg for me to die every day. She would just get down on her knees, literally. literally on her knees, crying, please die. I want you to die. I want you to kill yourself. Um, there was one breaking point where she gave me a knife and she told me that she was going to go crash her car into a pole. But if she didn't and she came back and I hadn't killed myself, that she was going to kill me. So that was the big moment. I was 11. That was a big one. Did you did you believe her? I fully believed her. Um, she would say, well, you want to die anyway. So I didn't do anything wrong by encouraging that. You already wanted to die. So But she could she could flip and also be a loving mom yeah, or was that not she, there? She could come home and then I would I would say, Do you really want me to die? She'd say, What? What are you talking about? I said, You don't remember what just happened? She would say, I don't you're crazy. You're making things up. You're you're just gonna go into a mental hospital. You're you're crazy. Um now she'll admit it. So she does remember it. She was just trying to take the blame away from her. Um, there were a lot of moments like that. Mm-hmm. She she would swerve into poles, um, threaten to kill me daily. I had chunks of hair ripped out. I just my scars on my arms just faded. She would grab her nails and rip my skin off. Um, I've been hit with pretty much every item imaginable. Uh, she's chased me with scissors, knives. And there was never, never a way out of this situation? No. no one you could turn to? My for only other option was my dad. And my dad yeah. was a consistent bully to people. He was consistently scary. My mom had ups and downs, so at least I had ups so I decided to stay with her there were times that I could talk to her um when I was 15 uh the way I got to my dad's house was the last straw I was really sick and I asked her to go to the doctor and she she said no I'm not taking you to the doctor you are too ugly you're too fat no doctor is going to see you you're an embarrassment, and I don't want anyone to look at you. But I was really sick. And she said, if you don't put makeup on, I'm not taking you to the doctor. So I went upstairs, and I I was so sick I could barely lift my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pretended to put makeup on. I went downstairs. Uh, she took me, got in the car. She realized that I didn't. And she took the car, and she swerved it into a pole, and on the side of the road started beating me. Um, so that that was the day I decided to move out. Mm-hmm. And I asked my dad if I could live with him. And in a way, that was my downfall. And so you were, and you were how old when you went to live with your dad? I was fifteen. So, so when you were still living with your mom when you were twelve, you clearly were in search of, of, of somebody to turn to and some companionship and you right. and like m- like many people in, in your position you turned to the internet right I did and um, that was the only safe space there were the on- they were the only friends that I could find um, I didn't have a good support system at school because I couldn't be my real self um, if I was my real self, I was afraid I would get taken away, put into foster care. Didn't you have any friends at school that you could confide in? I had some friends, but I never really told them what happened. Right. My mom was always threatening me. You know, if you tell anybody, they're going to take you away and you're going to go live with somebody and they're going to do this to you. And so, so we're back on the internet then. Right. 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 And, and you meet several people but one one in particular right that uh we will call dave yeah and dave found you when you were 12 on the internet how did he how did did dave find you i don't know how he found me i think i was 
12, about to turn 13, and he followed me, and I didn't think anything of it. At the time, I was talking to so many people. I had a lot of internet friends, and it didn't seem strange to me. We didn't really communicate much, but I would notice he would like all my pictures. He would comment often. And what platform are you on? This was Instagram Instagram. at the time. Yeah, it did progress into different ones. Um, But he, he found me, and I noticed that he was always trying to flirt with me, but I, tr- I wasn't interested at the time. Did he know you were 12? He knew I was in school. He right. knew I was young. He knew I was not of age. Right. Um, I was never hiding that I was in, I guess, middle school at the time. I might have been in my first year of high school, 13. Right. Um, never hid that, and he knew. He knew that. And what kinds of things would he say to you that would enable him to befriend you? I think we shared a similar taste in music, and he would just say very normal things like, oh, I see you live around Maryland. I live in Maryland, too. Um, Really anything that we could relate on. Mm -hmm. And over time, he started to use like an outcast approach. Oh, I see that you're an outcast like me. And he used that to bond us together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really his approach was look at us we like the same things and we're both rebels in the world right and I think that was his strategy and that appealed to you it did it mm-hmm. did I thought wow this is someone I I can relate to this guy understands right. what it's like and were you sharing pictures with one another no not at that time um, we didn't do any of that until we officially really started dating when I was 16 so you, you had been, this is a, a, a four-year... This is a long stretch of time. Courtship. Yeah. And he did he try to meet you prior to when you were 16? Mm, he would offer. He would ask to meet up or hang out. I was really not interested. Mm-hmm. I was just chatting with the guy. Um, I would have boyfriends, and I would stop talking to him. I wouldn't right. answer. But I would say you could tell, looking back, I could tell that he was trying the whole time right and and now you're 16 yeah and what changed in your life where you were open to taking it to the next level right so I went and moved in with my dad with a lot of false hope that things would get better Mm -hmm. and I tried to keep a positive attitude when I got there Uh, within three months I I realized that I completely ruined my life by going over there I mean, it was a different kind of environment than my mom's house, but it was more depressing and lonely. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Um, why, why is that? I refused to leave my room because my dad was very unpredictable and I didn't want to go downstairs. It wasn't that I wasn't allowed to or wasn't able to, yeah. but he could snap at any moment and I just did not trust him. I didn't trust his temper He would have people coming in and out of the house to buy his drugs. So there were always strange men in my house, and I didn't know what to do with them. So I just stayed in my room most of the time. Um, I I wanted a way out. And I didn't, not even a physical way out, just a good conversation to distract me. And... The day that I broke up with a boyfriend, Dave noticed within hours. And I don't know how to this day. 
I never posted about it. I I don't know. But within hours, he was, oh, I see you're single again. Let's chat. And it just seemed like the right moment. All right, I've known this guy for four years. Why not? I'll talk to him. And what did you know? What did you know about him? Was it accurate what what you thought you knew about him, or did he present himself in a different way? He became a lot more forward sexually at that time. He was very different than what I thought, but he was still very nice to me at that time. Mm-hmm. Very, very friendly, very approachable. Seemed like I could talk to him about really anything. Mm-hmm. So he, he became the person that you turned to in your he life. He did, yeah. And you didn't feel like you could talk to your dad about any of your problems? Never, no, no. Um, so he became somebody, he became my lifeline, essentially. He was the only thing that I had. He was the only person that really felt safe. How did it develop to the point where he actually wanted to meet you and you were open to a physical relationship. Right. So I made the mistake of the first week that I was talking to him, I told him I was 18. Now, whether he believed that, I don't know. Right. He would do, um, please just tell me you're 18, you know, like almost trying to have proof in his text messages that he was talking to an adult. Um, After a week, I decided, a week or two, I decided, you know what, this isn't right. I don't want to talk to him anymore. I don't want to be somebody that I'm not. I want I want to be real. Mm-hmm. So I stopped talking to him, and a week later, he shows up at my, my grandparents' house with flowers, begging for me back. And how did he know where your grandparents lived? I told him one time, because he wanted to know where I lived. And something didn't feel right about that. Mm-hmm. So I gave him someone someone else's house. He said he wanted to look it up on Google Maps and kind of scope it out. I don't know why. It didn't feel right, so I didn't tell him where I actually lived. It didn't fit, that part didn't feel right, but it was still felt right enough. It's still for you. it wasn't too crazy. Right. It wasn't too out there. Okay. I thought, okay, this could be reasonable. He just wants to see so where I'm is, from. This is a real slow road yeah. to how you got to where you to where you got right, to. Right, right. Um, so he shows up at your grandparents' house. He does. And she's like, don't you know that she is only 16? And he acts shocked. Wow, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know this. And I'll stay away. Don't worry. I'm gone. You'll never see me again. Right. Um, but within five minutes, he was calling me saying, you know I don't care. What do you mean? You know I don't care that you're 16. There's no problem here. Right. We'll just sneak around from now on. So, in my mind, that was great. Oh, he doesn't care. He accepts me for who I am. This mm-hmm. is this is the best. Mm-hmm. I don't have to hide anything. Now I can really move forward in a relationship with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's how old do you believe? He was 23 at the time. Okay. So, to me, that was a big deal. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. he's going to accept me and he's an adult that can get me things that I need because I wasn't getting them at my dad's. And when you say things that you needed more specifically, what were those items? Uh, food, really food and just basic like products, you know, that, that you need day to day. Right. Um, so he started providing those things for me and it felt like somebody really cared. Did that kind of emotional intimacy lead back to a more sexual intimacy as well? Yeah, so there was no sexual things on my end. He was definitely very forward about who he had been with. He liked to talk about it. He liked to get graphic about it. To me, that was just an older guy with more experience. Right. I had none. I had no experience. So I I just thought this must be what, what guys talk about. Who knows? It's what my dad talks about. So I figure this must be right. Mm-hmm. So after he finds out I'm 16 or finds out, I think he knew, he starts begging for me to come, come with him, hang out. But he always said, you can always live with me if it comes to that point. 
from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It was always an option. Mm-hmm. I never really considered that right away. It just seemed so far fetched. Mm-hmm. That was that will never happen. So it was February eleventh, two thousand seventeen, and that sticks out in my mind. That was the first day that I actually met up with him. Um, nobody knew I was gone. I I told my mom that I was with my dad. Told my mm-hmm. dad I was with my mom. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody cared. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much. I never did anything. I never left my room, so nobody noticed anything wrong. So he met me at the mall and then took me over to a lake. Um. He was nice. Everything seemed okay. Mm-hmm. I could tell he was moving a little fast. He was already telling me that he loved me, um, asking me to live with him, or suggesting that I do. Mm-hmm. He wasn't too pushy. Everything was fine. No sex, nothing like that. He dropped me back off at the mall. I got picked up by a friend. Everything was fine. After that day, he wanted to drive. It was a two and a half hour drive and he wanted to drive it every day. He wanted to come see me. He wanted to progress things. He would pick me up from school and drive me around. He always wanted to go to a lake every time. It always seemed weird to me. There were so many places we could go and he wants to go to a lake. And he loved anything to do with hiding so he wanted to go around people and he would ask me to change myself he would be like you should try acting like this you should disguise yourself when we hang out it was he was very into that he wanted me to be somebody else he would change my name we would hide I thought it was weird, but I thought he was just protecting himself. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really see it as he's trying to change my identity, which now I know is exactly what he was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Sex didn't start, well, sexual activity, like, sounded dumb. No, no. Um, Not at all. all. Yeah. Nothing sexual started at that time. Mm Mm-hmm. It was, it started with texting, pictures. It seemed safe. He, I didn't think he would share them with anybody, which, you know, he didn't because he would get in trouble. So it seemed okay with me. It progressed. It was very slow. Just pictures. What kind of, what, I mean, what kind of images? Um, just naked pictures. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, that's it. So he was he, a, he was asking he you was asking, for them. and I had never sent one before. Right. But I thought I got to keep up. He's twenty three. He's he's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. Right. So I have to step up right. at some point. I have to give him what he wants, or I'm not going to have him anymore. Right. And it wasn't all like that. It, I kind of I was curious. I wanted right. to try some things too. Sure, so, sure. so I did. Everything seemed fine. The first more sexual experience we had in person he took me to a hotel i remember the exact date march 3rd he it was intense that time Mm -hmm. he was all about hiding he wanted to see if anyone would notice that i was gone so he tested it out a little bit he took me to this hotel Told me to change my name, um, had me wearing different clothes and kind of taking on a different persona. Mm -hmm. He loved, he wanted me to hide from hotel staff and, you know, tell stories about a life that I didn't have. And it seemed strange, but to me at the time, it was a game. It was okay. He just wants to not get in trouble. Right. So, okay, I'm in for it. That was the first time that I would say I was sexually assaulted at the hotel room because I wasn't ready for that. 
I didn't say no. But it was implied that this is something you need to do. Or else I'm not going to be with you. It was so degrading. He, I was not good enough. I wasn't excited enough. I wasn't exciting him enough. I, I didn't look right. Nothing was right. He didn't like anything about it. He was mad. It didn't go the way he liked. So that is kind of what formed my idea of this is how it's supposed to be. I guess he's supposed to get what he wants out of it and I'm just going to be whatever he wants me to be. So he had me look the way he wanted me to look or do what he wanted me to do. And it killed my self-esteem because I was not what he wanted. I looked, I think I looked too much like a woman and he wanted someone younger. He wanted me to play a part of I was younger. So... He wanted me to act more like a child, but I was ready to be a woman. Mm -hmm. That's why I was with this older guy, but that's not what he was for. So he would get mad. When we spoke earlier, I had asked you if he had raped you and I was surprised by your answer. Yeah. So I still struggle with that word because I don't, it's not. So black and white, you think of rape as a very, you know, a stranger situation. Someone comes out from behind the bushes and starts ripping your clothes off. It's not like that. Um, But I didn't realize at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I needed him. Um, He would provide me with basic needs. So I felt that I owed him something and that's what he wanted in return. So I would give that to him. And to me, it didn't seem like rape because I was getting something too. It's not like he was just taking. He was also providing. Even though it was non-consensual. Even though it was non-consensual. And I struggled with that. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't say no. So how could it be rape? And by law, if one of the marshals wants to chime in here, if you are 16 years old, you cannot give consent. Uh, yeah, depending on what state you're in and, and what's going on. Yeah, it's 16 is, is not generally a time you can give consent. Yeah, his he had a lot of, um, he would pull out the law sometimes. He would say, look at this. It's totally fine for us to be doing this. See, the age of consent is 16. There's no problems here at all. Uh-huh. Everything's fine. You want this, right? Well, yeah, I want the food. I I eventually want a place to stay. Right. Yes, I I did want that. So looking back, yes, that was rape. In the moment, that was normal. Right. That's what I needed to do to survive. And how many times would you meet with him at a hotel before? Oh, it wasn't often. After the hotel, that's when he decided he was going to have me take me home. Within a month, he started planning after that stay. So the sexual encounters were not that many. Um, So that was another thing. I didn't think anything of it. It's not happening that much. Um, He's talking to me other than just that. So I thought this is fine. Right. And he's still and he's bringing you things. Oh, yeah. He's bringing me things the whole time. A lot of times we wouldn't even see each other. He would bring me something, wrap it in a Big Mac wrapper, and put it on the side of the road for me to go pick up. And to me, that was amazing. Right. He drove two and a half hours to bring me what I needed. I that was big. Uh That guy, I thought he really cared. Mm -hmm. So I thought he's not in it for sex. Clearly, if he's doing all of this. So after the hotel is when he really decided you're going to come with me. And he very delicately pushed for that. 
Mm-hmm. He said, things are getting so bad. I think this is our last resort, but I think it's time that you come with me. Is that something you want? And at the time, yeah, I think that's something I want. How bad was home at the time? Home was bad. Um, It was mostly at that time pure isolation. I lived with my dad for a few months at that point, and I never talked to him. Not one sentence. Never. The only time he would communicate with me is if I was covering for something he did, a crime, a girlfriend. That's the only time he would involve me in his life. Hey, oh. tell my wife I was here. That's the only time he talked to me, ever. That's how, how you would cover for him for a crime? Oh, well, he had like actual crimes and then, yeah. But he he would only ever talk to me if he needed me for something. And then I was like his best friend for five minutes. Right. Um, but that's the only thing we could relate on at all was, hey, I'm with this woman. You like her. So we're friends for five minutes while you're covering for me. Right. So really, I had no dad. I didn't I didn't have a dad. I don't know where he thought I got soap and anything, shampoo. Where I don't know where he thought I was getting these things from because he wasn't giving them to me. Mm. And I don't even know if it was intentional that he... I don't think he was intentionally neglecting me, but... He just forgot. I was forgotten. Mm-hmm. And and here you had some guy who was driving two and a half hours and providing for yeah. you and, and caring for you. It was great. It yeah. felt right. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I told him I would come with him. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come with you. But in my mind, it was not true. I still didn't believe it. It was mostly talk, kind of like fantasy to get me out of my head. I didn't believe it until like the day before I actually went with him. Right. But he started planning all of these things and it became clear that this is real to him. He's really planning on doing this. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, it'll never happen. I'll never actually leave. I'm not going. Right. This is all talk. He's not going to do this. But he started doing more and more planning and that's when I knew he was messed up I kind of realized he had done this before I I knew by how precise his planning was I have a list okay I have I wrote a lot down about this stuff Yeah, he started doing all these things to plan, and he knew what he was doing. He told his mom I was coming. He painted his car. He tinted his windows. He bought prepaid phones, hair dye, disguises. And it became real to me at some point. Right. Oh, my God, he's a pro. He knows what he's doing. But for me, oh, that's great. I'll never have to come back. But also, how many times has he done this? Mm-hmm. Where did he learn all these things? So it started getting real and scary at that time. And then the big day came. Yeah. Um, I was March 23rd. Um, we had been communicating in a code language. He staged a breakup over text, hoping law enforcement would see it. Um, well, talk, talk about the secret language. Yeah, so second. the secret language, he planned it out one day. He bought us both prepaid phones, multiple phones, but one of them was for planning, specifically. So he would just think of phrases that he might need to tell me, and he would have me write it down. Um just common things that he might have to say Mm -hmm. like I'm coming or on my way or be there in a minute 
So we had a lot of phrases, things that would sound normal in a conversation, but meant something completely different. Mm -hmm. So he used that to talk to me. And then on my uh, main cell phone, he staged a breakup, hoping that someone would see that and think that he wasn't the guy that took me if I was, if law enforcement right. ended up looking. Right. So he started that. Uh, March 23rd, he talked to me in the language and said he was on the way. It was around 8.30 at night. Nobody was at my house, I don't think. No, no one was there. I'm sorry. I know that. My dad was out. We planned it to be a Thursday. My dad was always out on Thursday nights. My stepmom was somewhere. The kids, that was the night that I didn't have to watch them. So, he comes down the road. His headlights were out. He came around the bend. I got in the car. He put on a song. I don't remember anything else. I took a sip of water and woke up three hours later. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was drugged. I have no idea. I have no memory right. of the whole ride. And that's a pretty long ride to not remember, especially in such a high stress moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember every other little detail from the entire week. So I think he might have done something. Mm -hmm. I remember when I woke up, I, I didn't feel too bad, not too tired or anything. It was just the first memory that I have of being there. I was in the passenger seat of his car and him and his friend, Dave and his friend, were standing about 40 feet away from the car, just looking at me, talking, laughing. And I was confused at how I got there. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember. Like, it just, it was like a blackout. Right. Here I am in this guy's yard. Okay. I mean, I kind of knew I was going there, so it didn't seem too strange. We're at the fr we're at the friend's house, and I was told that I was gonna be taken to Dave's dad's house, but that changed last minute. Then I was told I was gonna be put in a nice hotel. I'm gonna be taken care of for the night until I can stay with Dave. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. They took all my things. They started a big fire, and they said. Let me see what you have in there. And they burned everything. And I only brought my most precious things with me. It was a few notebooks of the only good memories I had in my life. Mm -hmm. Pictures, songs I wrote. I was a big writer back then. And he burned it all. My clothes that he didn't like, the clothes that weren't okay with him, burned he took my hair and burned it, and then he saved some of it, put it in his pocket. And that was that night. And that's night number one. Night one. Oh, and, and I forgot. The first night I did sleep with him at his house. The second night was the car. So, so you went to... So the first night you did go to his house. The first night I went to his house, it was... We got there so late that I barely consider it a night. It was a few hours. I was up all night. And he, did you, had you met Dave's mom? I briefly met Dave's mom. I walked in the door after coming from Dave's friend's house. And the mom walked in the door. And at first I thought she was really sweet. She jumps up from the couch. She has black eyes. Her eyes were swollen. Her face was swelled up she said oh I'm sorry I'm so sick but you are so beautiful and I'm so glad that you're here with me I'm so glad you made it here and I was 
Like, okay, she seems fine. That was my first experience. It was all friendly. The next day is when I met her again. Not so friendly. What was she like now? She grabbed me before Dave went to work. And she said, you are never leaving here. Do you understand that? She said, if you don't leave right now, you will never drive a car. You will never have a job. You will never finish school. You'll probably never make any friends. Your life is going to be terrible here, essentially, but hopefully better than what you had. You're going to spend a lot of time with me and Dave. It's going to be you and me for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to do? And I couldn't talk to her. I was shaking. So Dave looked at me. With fear, anger. Oh, fear. I was terrified. I couldn't get a word out. And from, from that point, like, Dave was talking for me. He was doing all the talking anytime I met anyone. So I didn't know what to say to her. She asked me my name. Uh, Dave gave me the name Abby. Mm -hmm. So that was my name. She said, Abby, I don't like that. I think I'll call you Gabby. That's my dog's name. Said, okay. 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 Now, you stayed. I stayed. How come? I just got there. Nothing bad happened yet. And they made it seem like my life would be boring, but not dangerous. After that, Dave and her started intimidating me a lot. She would say, she would talk about all the other people she's taken in over the years. She would name them and talk about their stories and how she would never let them go home. She would talk about how she made them disappear. They were gone, never found. She what, did, what did you think? What did you think that meant? I knew what it meant. She was implying that she killed them. She looked at me and she said, don't worry. I would never kill you. You're too beautiful. And you're a girl. I don't like killing girls. And Dave said, except for they talked about somebody. They told a whole story, and to my knowledge, this was like a motorcycle gang-related thing. Mm. But even in that moment, it felt like, okay, these people are crazy, but they're crazy on my side. So I didn't feel comfortable, but I didn't really feel threatened yet because they were using that to scare me mm -hmm. but also to make me trust them right. kind of both at the same time when did you figure out they were gonna out of the house to sleep so that night they had another fire and they burned some more things not my things this time um Again, I was told I would have a hotel or somewhere nice to stay. Yeah. But I wasn't picky. I, I didn't really mind. Um, they There were maybe 20 cars on the property, maybe more, maybe less. I'm not really sure. 20 aban abandoned cars? Abandoned cars, mm -hmm. rusted out, just sitting there. And they opened all the trunks or the backs of them, and they were trying to figure out which one would be the best for me. I got lucky because one of them was really tiny. I would have had no room at all. But there was like an engine in the back or in the trunk or something. So I got lucky with that. Um, they put me in a bigger one. I just remember he opened the door. And I just remember his hand pointing into the door. He just pointed like I was a dog, like I was an animal. Mm -hmm. 
there's your bed. In an ab- in an abandoned car. Yeah, in some guy's field. And I wasn't shocked. It I, it still felt like okay, this is right. Mm-hmm. It's still better than being. It's home? still better. Yeah, at the time. Looking back, I I don't know, but then, yeah, this is fine. No problem here. What did you think in terms of if something were to happen to you, if they did harm you or wanted to continue a sexual relationship, your attitude was what? I didn't think that far. I thought... I was living in every moment, just surviving. So I still, in my heart, didn't think he was going to hurt me or take any take advantage of me in any way. You had mentioned before that even if he did. Even if he did, that was okay. The fear really came like in the last two days, um, the more I realized he didn't want me anymore. But... But you were. I didn't care. I was okay. I accepted that. If I die, I die. I I was already gonna die. I was going to kill myself. I had a gun in hand. I was ready to go. Talk about your suicide thoughts because it'll. I think it'll yeah. help people to understand why you were in the place that you were in, mentally. Yeah, I was really suicidal. Um, some days were so bad. I would I would just look at look at the gun. I would just stare at it. I had all the options i mm-hmm. i had pills my dad had tons of pills i had pills i had guns i could do whatever i wanted to go so i was always constantly in that frame of mind right. i could have gone at any minute but i don't think i really wanted to die i just wanted it to change so that's where dave came in mm-hmm. and he's offering a change and instead of pulling the trigger I'm going to take Dave's offer. Mm-hmm. It seems better than the alternative. So you have, you're now sleeping and told you don't leave this abandoned car. Yeah. Um, don't leave. Don't open the door. The first night. Even though you were in an abandoned field. Uh, yeah. You don't open the oh, door. There were, car. there were people walking around in it. Um, still don't know who they were. I remember one guy in a bright orange vest. He would walk around at, it was usually 5 a.m. He would start walking around. Mm -hmm. And they did warn me that there would be people in the field, but they didn't really say who. It would be like, oh, that's my friend's family or his sister, dad or something. Like it's a... A popular tourist it's, attraction. It's a place oh, to it's go. The abandoned field with of the rusted out cars. I mean, who wouldn't want to go there? Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I clearly was happy. Yeah, it was great. Wow. And so this is probably this is now night number two. Yeah, I stayed awake all night just so I wouldn't die because I felt like if I fell asleep, I might not wake up. Mm. I think it got down to in the forties. Um, and that might not sound too bad, but when you're in a car with no blanket and yeah. in one t-shirt, it's not great. Nope. So I stayed awake all night. He told me I couldn't sit up. I could only lay down in the car because people could be walking by at any given time. Um, and he was right. So at, I think, 1, one or 2 a.m. that night, I saw a flashlight coming towards the car. And he told me, you know, if someone comes, just be cool. It's okay. Just don't don't scream or anything. But my reaction was so big. I was so scared that this guy was going to hurt me. Because he did say, you know, my friend's been to jail, but it's no big deal. He's He's got a history of doing some really bad things. But he would never do that to you. So... I see this flashlight coming towards a car and I cannot help but scream really loud. I was so scared and he opened the door and I noticed that it was a friend and I felt a little bit better but at the same time I didn't know why he was there. He said, 
Dave sent me out here to check on you. And the friend would just stand there. Sometimes he would bring me things. He would hide things with me. Um, they had some weed. They would hide it with me. All of their illegal goods were in the same car, right. me included. So... And when you and when you say you were not allowed to sit up, and no. you had to stay in the car. You ate in the car, and you relieved yourself in the. Yeah, car. I had a empty popcorn bag, and I had it wouldn't close or stand up, so I had to hold it upright for hours and hours and hours because I wasn't allowed to get out. And he would always say, "Well, you have to pee, or you're going to get an infection, and you're never going to the doctors again." So just have a bag. So I got to empty the bag every time Dave would come back for me. I could empty the bag and it was so great. You don't realize how annoying it is to hold a bag upright all day long. Your arm is getting tired at that point. Right. So that was that. There were a few times where I did try to get out. I would get out, but I would see someone coming and have to kind of jump right back in. Right. I was so scared that they'd hear the door shut. So there was that. And and this is this is the end of night two, and you're still yeah. better off than going home. Yep, still better, still feeling okay. I was really thinking too that it won't be this bad forever. This is just the initial few days while right. he's evading law enforcement. Right. I thought this is just week one by week two. I'll be in a bed. Things will be fine. Right. 9 a.m. He right. comes and gets me. Um, he takes me to a bathroom. He gets me some pizza. Um, we went to his friend's job, a mechanic shop, little, little place. Mm hmm. And that was the first time I was allowed to be around anyone other than him. He was kind of bringing me out into the world to see how I would do around other people. So he spoke for me. I kept my head down the whole time. Um, that day was really centered around his friend. We did everything with the friend that day. And what, it, what, it, what the kind of things that you guys did? So after work, we went back to his house, which was on that field um i went inside the friend started playing news footage of me he thought it was really cool he really he was shocked by the reward money he was like this is tempting i want to wait till it goes up and up and up and then i'll give some information um he was odd he spent the whole day just fascinated that he had a missing person in his house. He thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. So that day, Dave told me to go in a different car. It was some rusted out truck. And while I was sitting in there, I heard him and his friend discussing going to North Carolina. And that got my attention. And what did you think he was going to do in North Carolina? He was going to get some guy out of a ditch. We were going to take his truck down and pull a tractor trailer out of a ditch. And I thought, yeah, it could probably do that. Sounds reasonable. So they started with a price. And I don't remember the exact number, but I know it kept going up and they were on the phone negotiating this price for this this towing thing. And I would say it was about 300 miles away. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't practical. But right. Dave's friend said, you know, you need to get out of town for a little bit. I think it'll be really good for you. Get some fresh air. Get away from all of this. It'll help us hide you a little bit better right. for a couple of days. So this negotiation's going on. And something seemed off about it because of the price. It kept getting higher, like in the thousands. And rational me was like, he could get a tow truck for less than that. Right. And he wouldn't have to wait four or five hours to get it. Right. And 
Dave wasn't letting me go around anyone. So why would he let me go around this guy? Right. And I asked, I said, well, what if this guy knows who I am? Says, oh, don't worry about him. He doesn't watch the news. He wouldn't know. But everyone else was a threat. Everyone, he thought, knew who I was. Right. So something wasn't right with that to me. It was a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. This wasn't about a tow truck. But I was still hopeful and trusting. So I encouraged it. I wanted to go. I wanted to get out of town. Mm-hmm. They ended up getting on, getting in a fight. They got in a fight with the guy on the phone. The price just wasn't right. And Dave became really distressed. You could tell he didn't, he didn't look right. His demeanor changed. He looked stressed out. He looked sad. He looked disappointed. And to me, that didn't seem right. You know, he was he really wanted to drive all this way to get someone out of a ditch that he doesn't know that well. Mm-hmm. Why would he be sad about that? So I started to think, could that have been about me? Were they going to sell me to somebody? Mm-hmm. And now, yes, I think they were. But... At that time, it was a thought, but it didn't seem like it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Dave could never hurt me is what I was thinking. Right. He couldn't hurt me. He's never hurt me. All he's done is all these great things. He's provided me with so many things. He's given me a place to stay, food, more, more, more things that you had gotten exactly. at, at home. So I didn't think he was capable of giving me to somebody else he was so protective of me he wouldn't even let me look at another person so why would he let me be with one right so it fell through after i want to say an hour of arguing with this guy on the phone right and they were not happy about that the friend was mad originally that the guy was going to pay after we got there. He wanted the money up front sent to him. Right. He was like, we don't have gas money to get there. And then he took my money out of my wallet to get us there. And even after we didn't go, he kept it. And at 16, you know, $300, that's a lot of money. Right. I right. saved up. Right. I really had to work hard for that. So that was a little discouraging, but I thought, okay, maybe we're going to go tomorrow. Maybe, maybe something's going to happen. Like he's going to take me somewhere. We're going to do something Mm -hmm. fun. So that was that. Did you ever ask him if that was about you? No, I didn't because he would have looked at me like I was crazy. He would have denied it. Right. To the point where I would feel like I was insane for even right. thinking it. Right. So the evening of day three comes. Yeah. So that night I was back in the car. Um, I kind of thought that that's where I would sleep every night. Mm-hmm. So I had a blanket. It wasn't quite as cold. I think I actually slept for an hour or two. Uh, Nothing really out of the ordinary happened to me that day, that night, I should say. There were people walking around. I was holding the bag, but at that point, I was, that was a good day. No threats, no, nothing bad. Okay. Just people walking around. Day four brings us to the marshals. Yes. So, uh, day four is when we actually got involved, uh, myself and and my partner, We got the call from from our counterpart uh, who had been invited in uh, to the investigation because of the tension between, again, the FBI and the local Mm -hmm. uh, police department. So it's day four. And at this point, how many times has law enforcement been out to the house to check if Sue was there? They've been out three times for sure, for certain. Um, They've had no luck. Uh, They said that he was cooperative, but they didn't find anything, didn't see anything, and and were basically – 
well, there's nothing we can do. Um, mm-hmm. So that's when uh, my counterpart reached out to us specifically because he wanted us to do um, almost a fugitive investigation versus a missing child investigation, which is what we were good at uh, where we, we came up. I started an initial investigation into the case. Uh, we looked up all of uh, Dave's information. We developed like a pattern of life for him, uh, where he worked, uh, what kind of vehicles he had, where he lived, who his family members were, all the, the basic information that we would need to to conduct a good interview and to do some surveillance before we conducted the interview. Um, just to ensure that you know uh, we didn't see uh, Sue or anybody else uh, that we 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 wouldn't expect in his his home so uh i contacted uh steve and steve is the name we have chosen for uh (laughs) one of the marshals today and the other is mac and to just further differentiate them steve is the much better looking of the two (laughs) that's that's true is that true that's true okay Uh, so during the course of this investigation, I got my very good looking partner and, uh, Did, were there, were there other, were there other subjects that you were suspicious of or, or not at the time? No. Uh, because it was very, it was very fishy. The, the information we got. So when I got briefed by my counterpart, there were a lot of missing pieces that f- kind of filled in as we went. Uh, for example, the note you mentioned at first we weren't told there was a note and then some point late in the second day, they discovered a note. So he contacted me to tell me, hey, wait a second, there was a note. Uh, You know, again, a 23-year-old and a 16-year-old are not a typical dating age. And uh, from our experience in the sex offender uh, investigation side, typically uh, an older guy fascinated with a a juvenile female is not gonna just abandon that relationship like uh, a normal relationship Uh that's more uh, And why why do you think her dad held the note for a, a day or two before telling the author telling the authorities. So, from my personal opinion, and yeah. and I'm sure uh, everybody would have a different opinion. My personal opinion is uh, from the things I've seen and and witnessed throughout my career. It's it's a he was sort of taking the the spotlight. He he wasn't very concerned with with Sue, and he was concerned with himself and looking good. And very uh, almost like a very narcissistic personality. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy was very concerned with his looks. He was very concerned with getting that attention. When he started getting that attention, it probably felt pretty good to be honest with you to have the community come and rally behind you. Right. And then he literally almost becomes the victim versus his his daughter, which is very uh, twisted. But uh, it happens, and and that's what I think happened in this particular incident. Um, mm-hmm because of his, uh, again, like Sue said, there was a lot of neglect. There was a lot of not thinking about her specifically. He clearly thought a lot about himself. And I think this just is another string that just points right to that. And correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me what you think, uh, Steve. No, I absolutely agree with that. I think that he he takes the spotlight off of, of Sue and puts it on himself and is, is now the victim as opposed to Sue being the victim. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the, the thing that we thought was really odd, like the note showed up later, not that it was found later, but it was withheld and not given to authorities until later. So that to us was already kind of a red flag on like, okay, that's, that's something that's not usual when a, you know, when a child goes missing, the parents are, you know, bending over backwards to help authorities with everything and completely upfront and completely, you know, forthcoming with all the information. So, right. The parents drive the investigation a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, maybe not from the front, but they are pushing investigators and they are mm-hmm. pushing media and they are pushing anything to find your child. I mean, there's nothing more uh, excruciating and scary, I think, than having no idea where your child is. Sure, yeah. Um, so I think in a lot of cases, that's the driving force behind most of these investigations. In this case, it really wasn't. Uh, the parent sort of if you will, not that the local law enforcement and FBI weren't doing a good job because right. they were, they were right. doing what they're programmed to do. But this parent kind of sucked a lot of the life out of the investigation to themselves, which is obviously detrimental to our investigation. Wow. Yeah. Um, so from there, uh, I got as much information as I could. And like I said, as it funneled in while we were doing the investigation, I, I passed it on to the other, uh, the other deputies I was working with. 
specifically, uh, the note was the big one. And then uh, talking about, I, I believe we were told that the father had run off the had the potential boyfriend, uh, right. uh, Dave. And then we found out it wasn't really the way he told it to be. Uh-huh. Um, that came out in the process of the interviews. It wasn't actually him that ran off. I think it was the grandparents or something. So it got very confusing. Right. So then we basically decided to to disengage from what was going on up there and really focus on on uh, Dave because Dave is really the prime suspect in this situation. Right. He's going to be the guy that saw her last. Uh, you know, he had an illicit relationship with her. He uh, clearly knew he was doing something wrong and continued on with it because after the relationship had been told, "Hey, you got to stop. She's 16." he still continued on. And we knew this just from the text messages and, and other information we had. So that being said, we had a pretty good idea that he knew more than what he had told the the previous two uh, investigative agencies. Right. Um, so uh, we went down uh, after gathering as much information as we could, again, to develop this kind of pattern of life, get these data points in all these different places so that we had areas to go. So they bring in the experienced fugitive hunters to crack the guy who clearly is hiding something. But that's going to take us to part two of this episode. Sue, I've been hanging on your every word. I mean, what strikes me is the way that you can look at events today and so vividly describe the thoughts and actions of your 16-year-old self is really enabling everyone to have a front row seat into your journey. So thank you so much. Thank you also to the marshals coming into our story on day four. And if you suspect that somebody is missing, of course, call your local law enforcement agency and also reach out to NITMIC or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST or go to missingkids.org. We're just getting started, so we would really appreciate your support. Tell your friends and coworkers about us, and if it's not too much trouble, a five-star rating and a glowing review wouldn't hurt. Much appreciated. Stay safe, everyone. Mm-hmm.